Okay, I would like to invite the rest of you to stand up. We're going to do some calisthenics. Go, go ahead and, you know, I even see caps on out here today. Someone asked last week, so are you going to give us some fire and brimstone this week? It'd be a good week for it, two weeks in a row. Um, we're going to have a good morning together. I am thankful that you are here. I'm thankful. By the way, this front section is not colder, any colder than the back section. So if you want to move up, there is actually some hot air up here. So you can come on up. I help you out. We can do it. Um, We're going to have a good morning together as we begin a new series. And uh, I'm thankful (laughs) that you're here for our guest. Glad that you're here and that you decided to stay. Uh, for the after you were here for a few minutes and we're we are thankful yesterday I was in here I was just spending some time uh, in the quiet and it was not this cold so that transformer that Josh mentioned uh, is certainly our culprit I'm sure uh, this morning go ahead and have a seat I want to echo Josh's uh, thanks to Randy he was up here as well he came in and he was walking around in the dark with a flashlight. Some lights in the building worked, some did not. In, in, even in the case of the hallway back here towards the fireside room, when I flipped on the hall lights, one panel came on, the other panel did not, and then the hallway, there was just, it was dim. It was a very odd thing. Um, so Randy had, had come in and said, okay, so here's the big problem. We're gonna have to go ahead and turn out these lights and we're trying to, to find exactly what's going on here. And so he was still here when I left. And uh, so thank you for uh, working with our our guys to get things back and running and bright for us. Even if it's not warm yet, that, that will happen. I thought about beginning this morning with the uh, with the blessing and the benediction, but I thought that you might be reading into that a little bit too much in, in, about the cold. Uh, but our blessing and our benediction really could be at the beginning. So let me just go ahead and remind you of what I say at the end every week. Uh, we begin with the blessing, and this comes from Numbers chapter 6. We call it the blessing of Aaron or the Aaronic blessing. It's the blessing that God himself gave to Aaron to give to the people. And he said, when you give them this blessing, you put my name on them. Which is such a, a weighty phrase when I think about that. You put my name on my people. But the blessing is, may the Lord bless you Lord, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. And that blessing is then intentionally, at the end of our service, followed by a commission. Two different things. The commission and the blessing aren't the same thing. The blessing comes first. There's there's an order blessing that we receive from God then is the blessing over us as we are sent 
commission, as you may have memorized it yourself after these last several years, is go in the love of the Father, the authority of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit to share life in Jesus. Now don't worry, we're going to close with that today as well. But I want you to hear that because it's a good way for me to start our time together this morning as we start a new series. I'm calling the series Everyday Mission. Being church beyond Sunday. Uh, many of you have noticed that um, over the last several months, in fact, I started this practice with the series that we just finished, Believing God, back in September follow up the, the Sunday sermon with an email on Tuesday that I'm calling Beyond Sunday. And it is a very brief recap of the sermon with some questions for reflection, some of the main points that I talk about, and then some questions. And it's just a way for us to say just because the sermon itself has been preached and set aside in this in a sense, doesn't mean that we're forgetting the Word of God. And I wanted to take an opportunity to say, we continue this just because we come together and the sermon is over and classes are over and we've gone our separate ways. We're actually going into the world in this commission to live out, to practice, to grow, to deepen, to further that relationship, to further our knowledge, to be reflective and open to God and what he's doing in our lives and so I've called it Beyond Sunday if you're not getting that email and you'd like to then please do let me know we'll make sure that you get it and so today we start and for the next few months I want us to to be thinking about what our mission looks like from day to day uh, we've used the phrase sharing life in Jesus since 2005. And it is a, a description of what we desire, and it's a description of really what we do, the kind of life we practice. And there's, as with any value and, and, and oftentimes even any mission or, or short statement to, to summarize, a slogan, whatever you may want to call it, oftentimes there's the aspiration that we aspire to this and there's the actual practice of it and with anything there's going to be times where we are aspiring to more than what we're actually practicing and when you think of the, the phrase sharing life in Jesus it's there's going to be a number of ways that you think about that several different things are going to come to your mind some of you are going to think about the fellowship. Some, are, some of you are going to think about a worship time. Some of you are going to think about the loving relationships that you enjoy and that you're building even now. You might think about a Bible class. You might think about a life group. You might think about the, the casual coffee dates that you have during the week, things like that. But you think about that aspect of sharing life in Jesus. And I want us to concentrate in the next few months on the missional side sharing life in Jesus. Uh, beyond what we do together in the big group and in the smaller groups, the smaller assemblies that we have throughout the week, 
even today in our Bible classes. I want us thinking about what it looks like to share life in Jesus with other people in the world in the other 166 or 165 hours of the week that we're not together. That's what I want us thinking about. So this series is going to flesh out what it means for us to share life in Jesus with the world God loves. Not the world God hates, but the world that God sent his son to die for. The world he so loves. What does it look like for us to share life in Jesus? Hauerwas and Williman in, in their book, uh, Stanley Hauerwas, William Williman, in their book, Resident Aliens, which is uh, a book that came out when I was just graduating from Harding <clears throat> a long time uh, ago. The book was published in 1989, just before I graduated in 1990. And their book, uh, which I've picked up again and, and been pouring over as a part of reflection on this series, they said that this is what the early church would have been asking. How should we live now in light of the shock that God has raised, crucified Jesus from the dead? How should we live now in light of the shock that God has raised, crucified Jesus from so that's another way for me to say, this is what I want us to be thinking about. What does it look like for us to live? Yes, we can think about what it looks like for us to live together in fellowship and encouragement, in challenge, in confession, in the practice of service, and all these kinds of things. But what does it look like for us as the scattered church rather than the gathered church, the sent church, to live in the world? Uh, I want us to do a really quick word association, kind of just a little exercise here. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to just have, what are the first things that come to your mind? I want you to have a picture in your mind. When I say this word, what do you think of? What's the first thing in your mind? And, and you don't necessarily have to say it out loud, but here's the exercise. Word number one, delicious. Delicious. Okay, so, how many of you had a dessert in your mind? Dessert. Specific dessert? Any specific dessert came to your mind? Like, boom, there's delicious right there. Anybody have a steak in your mind? Delicious steak? Anybody? Maybe one or two people? Nobody had a blank, did they? We thought of something. Okay, another word. Shopping. Shopping. I see your face, Ronnie Lightfoot. Yeah, that's what, that's like, what? It was terror was on his face, actually. Terror. Uh, some of you are here shopping, and just like when you heard delicious, you thought of maybe a savory meal. Some of you thought of a dessert. A lot of you thought of a dessert. There was something there that... When you say shopping, oh, some people, oh, yes, can't wait. I've already got half my Christmas presents for next year. You know, you're already excited about shopping. Others are like, oh, do we really have to? Technology. What comes to your mind when you think of technology? 
is it a positive thing? Is it a negative thing? When I say technology, is there a picture that comes to your mind? Is it your phone? Is that the first thing that comes to your mind, phone? Maybe a tablet, something like that. Community. When you think of community, do you think of your neighborhood? Do you think of life group? Do you think of the, just the interactions that you have with people, maybe at work, here? And then finally, church. What's the association in your mind when I say the word church? I'm asking this because uh, this is going to be a word we talk about a lot in the next few months. And uh, I, as I read, as I have conversations, as I overhear things in different parts of my life, the word church conjures up very many thoughts for people, just like these other words. We didn't all have the same thing in mind when we said delicious or shopping or technology or community. But I'm afraid the word church for a lot of people um, these days doesn't have a connotation that is what God would intend for it. Um, unfortunately, there's enough of us that have been hurt in some way in a church setting with church people that it's tough. Isn't that true? Some people stop going to church because they've been hurt, because they've somehow had a bad experience. I don't know of anybody who hasn't. But I think one of the things that I notice in a lot of the, the articles and the writing is as, as American Christians in particular, and this has happened already, and it's still happening in Europe and, and the UK and so forth, but we're somewhat behind in terms of progressions of, of, of social life, society and culture. And when, when we look at what's happening in American culture, a lot of times people that, that are serious in following Jesus and they're serious about the word of God and worship and the gospel and they're wanting to be able to, to really make a difference. One of the things that's getting shelved in many places is church. Even the American idea in our individualized culture that we can just kind of do this spiritual thing on our own. We can, we can worship on our own. We can study on our own. We can just kind of do this thing on our own. We've been hurt or we've been burned or we've seen other people burned and and so we just don't want to, to really mess with church anymore. And certainly, one of the things that we need to do as church, as the people of God, is to continually look at the world around us, the society around us, and we need to be able to say, okay, what does it look like given our time and our place, given our culture, what does it look like for us to be the people of God in this place at this time? Um, I had a conversation yesterday with, with an older woman that um, was talking about her church, and she loves her church, goes to a local church here in town, and she was talking about her church, and they uh, have two services at her church, and she was talking about how her and her husband, longtime members of, of that church, um, enjoyed the traditional service, but didn't want to have anything to do with the contemporary service. 
and um, you know just just said, well, I just you know that I just can't handle that contemporary service, and kind of talked a little bit about just how difficult it was for her and at times even to see um, relatives as a part of that. Oh, I'm I'm glad they're getting scripture, and I'm glad they're there, and I'm glad they're hearing gospel. Boy, but it's tough. And uh, we talked a little bit, and I said, you know, I, I can relate to that because when I went to Uganda as a missionary with, with my wife and we were a part of a team of missionaries, church was tough. It was a different experience for us. It was a different culture, different language. We had to learn what it meant to, to be church in that culture and in that context. So we learned language, we learned culture, we learned traditions, we learned beliefs and values, we watched the behaviors, and we tried to figure out, okay, so this gospel that never changes, this gospel of Jesus Christ, what does this gospel look like in this culture? How is it that we're going to proclaim gospel, this eternal gospel, in a, in a different context, one that is new to us, one that's a challenge to us, what, what is that going to look like? And certainly, we didn't want Ugandan churches to look exactly like American churches. And in fact, as I had this conversation with this woman yesterday, she agreed. She said, yeah, that would look very different. And I said, I kind of think that's the way it is today as well. Uh, younger generations are going to look at things just differently than, than we are. I was putting myself in the same category, even though she's 30 years older than me. So I was putting ourselves in that older generation. You know, we're just going to look at things a little differently. But what we're trying to do is make sure that gospel is proclaimed, that it makes sense, that it's intelligible, that it's embraced, and then begins to be practiced in life. So when you think of the word church, what do you think? Let me read from Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 2, where Paul has in this letter, as he does in several of his letters, he begins with gospel. Uh, he already knows the situations to which he's writing. He knows the context of the Ephesian church when he writes this letter. He knows what they're their, their challenges are. He knows what they're struggling with. He, he knows that there is, uh, in Ephesus, there is a, uh, a, a great mix of religions. There's a very strong religious presence in Ephesus um, around Artemis. You can even see that in the book of Acts, a goddess. And uh, all kinds of different Greek religions in addition to a Rome, the Roman religions that would have been practiced. So he, he understands the religious context. He understands the idolatry, literal idolatry that's happening there. He understands that, that there are Gentile believers who are trying to come out of an old lifestyle of uh, sexual immorality, of hatred, of cursing other people, violence, domination, those kinds of things. And he recognizes his context, and he writes this, and he begins with the gospel. He doesn't go right into, okay, here's what you've got to do. I've heard about all this stuff. Boom, here's what you've got to do. Stop doing this. Start doing this. Instead, he lays out the gospel. He lays it out in chapter 1. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, one of the more famous passages of all the Pauline letters, he talks about 
By grace you have been saved through faith. He drives home that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, loved us, poured out his mercy on us. And he's pulled us into relationship with Jesus. And when he talks about this, the end of chapter 2, he goes from the grace into, oh, by the way, this grace is for everybody. It's for Jews and Gentiles alike. It's not just meant for the Jews. And then he gets to chapter 3, and he begins a sentence at the very beginning of chapter 3. He's, he begins by saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Oh, time out. Let me, let me just, you guys know about the calling, right? like he pushes pause on that he won't pick it up until later on in the chapter and this is what he pauses to make sure that the Ephesian church understands surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly in reading this you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit of God, Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery is that the Gentiles and Jews together, there are three things, heirs together, members together, sharers together. Those three things, this is what you have in common. You inherit the same thing. You inherit what the Son inherits. You inherit what Jesus inherits. You're members of one body. There's not two different churches. When he gets to chapter 4, he says there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. There's not one for the Gentiles and one for the Jews. Everybody together here then he says uh, that you are sharers together in the promise. I became a servant, he says, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, listen to this, the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. This mystery was just waiting to be unpacked. It was waiting to burst forth on the world. The mystery that God was redeeming and saving the entire world, not just one nation, not just one tiny group of people, but the whole world. It's what he had promised to Abraham. Through your seed I will bless the world. And now he says it has been revealed it has burst into the world. His intent was that now, verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him we may approach God freedom and confidence. The church, he says in verse 10, 
It's the church that reveals the manifold, the many, diverse, varied, multi-layered, multi-faceted wisdom of God. If you're going to hold up the wisdom of God, how do you describe the wisdom of God? How do you describe any quality of God, the, the, the love, the grace, the, the wisdom? He says the wisdom of God, that however you want to look at it, you turn it and you see something different. He said that's what the church reveals. The church reveals the manifold wisdom of God. The church is God's idea. Ragtag bunch of people, imperfect people, from the beginning to now. But in God's sight, the church reveals his manifold wisdom. God sees the church as a good thing. Jesus, later on, is, is, is referred to as the groom, and the church is what? The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. So when we have a, our own description of church, how does our, script, our description of church line up with God's description of church? And if my description of church doesn't match God's description of church, what's wrong with my description? Right? I'm not trying to convince God he needs to change his idea of church. God has had this idea of church. Now, it's going to look different. We have a mission now that looks different than the kind of mission that we would have had even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, beyond that even. Our mission, the way that we practice church in the world, missionally speaking, is just going to be different as the time and the culture and the context changes. We are the same church, we're the people of God, same, and yet at the same time our mission changes. So I want us to talk about two things as we pull this together. The who of mission and the why of mission. The who of mission begins with God. The who of mission begins with God. We would think, perhaps, well, it begins with us. It's our mission. Well, really, it's God's mission that he shares with us. Um, Jesus, the incarnation, God in human form, comes into a world. He has a certain language, certain kind of food, certain traditions. They're the Jewish traditions. It's the Jewish way of life. And he embodies humanity, but he embodies a specific humanity. And yet at the same time, even embodied as a Jew, he always had in mind the whole world. He's, if he had been in a different time and culture, he would have embodied that, I believe, as God in human form, to reach those people, to love those people, to reveal to those people what God is like. So it starts with God. And basically, the first century disciples, when they encountered Jesus in the Gospels, and certainly when they had these encounters with him in the book of Acts as well. That was one of the things that I did this week as I prepared, as I read the book of Acts, and just noted all of these times where the word of God was going beyond traditional boundaries and beyond the people of, of, of the Jews going to outsiders. 67 occasions, 67 occasions in the book of Acts that I counted as I read of it reaching people. And basically, these first century disciples, 
saw Jesus, heard about Jesus, encountered Jesus, and they, they, they would see Jesus, and they would go, wow, there's no one like him. He's the, he's the only one. He's the one and only. He, look what he's done for us. Look what he's done for me. Do you see Jesus? And, and then this, they, they call him all kinds of things. They refer to him in so many different ways in the Gospels and the, in the book of Acts. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Same word, the Jewish and, and, the, and the Greek. He's the son of Adam, the son of David, the son of man, the risen Lord, the son of God, the Lamb of God. Supreme authority, Lion of Judah, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the good shepherd, and he's the gate of the sheep. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. And that's just the beginning of the description and the names and the things that they try to to put to Jesus. This is who he is. He lived, he loved, he served, he died, he rose, and he's coming back. And so then the people said, would you, would you look at Jesus? I'm arranging my life around him. That's who, that's who I'm going to did you see he gave his life for us? Well, I'm giving my life to him. The who of mission goes back to God, and it goes back in particular to the person of Jesus, the embodiment of the Father, and with the Father, the sender of the Spirit. But there is no doubt about it. In the New Testament, Jesus is the central point. And guess what? He's the central point of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets point ahead to Jesus. Acts, the letters of Paul point back to Jesus. Jesus is the point of Scripture. He was the point of life. He was the one that everybody threw their lives toward and just said, he's, the, he's, he's it. He's the reason that we're going to live differently. So when I think about Jesus... Here's the thing. Um, words like justice, social justice, peace, reconciliation, those words are, are popular these days. They, they're talked about a lot. Mission, service, those kinds of things. Um, and not just in church circles, they're, just, they're talked about in the world. And sometimes when we talk about um, the church, when we, when we talk about being able to proclaim, preach gospel, live gospel, practice gospel in the world, there are times when we think what we need to do is make Jesus relevant. We, may, we need to make the message relevant to the culture. And I understand what we're talking about. I mean, I've used those words as well. Relevant in the, in the fact that it, it means something to us right now. But there's, there's no question in my mind, especially as I just spent time reading through Gospels and the Acts and, and just thinking about this this week. Jesus is what makes us relevant. Jesus is what makes us relevant. 
Jesus is the difference between me serving in my homeless friends or talking to someone about the good life. He's what makes those conversations relevant to me. Otherwise, I could be just like any other person talking about social justice or peace or reconciliation, talking about those things, but having absolutely no power to make those things stick for the long term. Because Jesus is what makes it stick, and he's the one who makes it, who propels it into real life for the long term, and certainly forever. He's the one who makes it possible. And if we get away from Jesus as individuals as, and as, as church, as we live it in the world, in the 166 hours that we're not together, 165 hours we're not together, um, we, we've lost it. Because Jesus, Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, that's what is so often described in the book of Acts. Jesus is what makes us relevant. And without that, we'll have a lot of good service projects, but not the power of Jesus behind them. We are also a part of this who. The who begins with God, but it's also us, the church. The church is the people of God sent by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to be his body and presence in the world he loves. The people of God sent by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to be his body and his presence in the world God loves. Which is why, in a few minutes, I'm going to say, and now, go in the love of the Father, the authority of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit to share life in Jesus. We are the ones who have experienced redemption and reconciliation. We've seen Jesus change our lives. And in the New Testament, that was enough to change the world. When a changed, when a person who had been changed by Jesus recognized who he was and what he had done, they couldn't keep quiet. Think about Acts chapter 4. When the disciples are on trial. Um, and this who and this this who and this why blends together. So I want to use this scripture to kind of talk about this together. The who and the why really are inseparable. So when we think of the who and the why, it's just first and foremost Jesus. Because Jesus. Because he's worth it. Because he's just that good. Listen to Acts chapter four. When when those who had been putting the disciples on trial, Peter and John in particular, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed earlier on in chapter 3, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer in his name. Then they called them again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which one is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. That's what they were already in the business of doing. And then he says this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Jesus was that mesmerizing to them. He was their mission, he was the who of their mission, and he was the why of their mission. So if you say, why are you doing this, Jesus? Why would you live like this? Why would you undergo the threats, Jesus? Why would you keep talking about this Jesus? Jesus. Jesus. He's the number one why, as he is the number one who. The second is that this is our identity now. This is who they were. This mission is this outworking of who we are. I'm going to go through these quickly because we're going to unpack this in the coming weeks. So first, it's because of Jesus. Second, it's because of who we are. It's our new identity and mission is the outworking. Number three, because Jesus has all authority, he sends us. This is what he does. You go back to Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says to his disciples, as he's been with them for a number of days, and now he's going back to heaven, and he says, as you go into the world, make disciples of all people, all kinds of people, the nations, ethnic. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything I've commanded you. The word mission is Latin word for the word sent. It simply means we're sent. Sent into the world. That is part of our identity now. It's part of who we are. And because of his authority, he sends us. Isn't the Great Commission Jesus' way of saying, people didn't know about me. People need to know about me. They need to know about the good life that I bring. And so I want you to go and I want want you to teach them who I am and I want you to show them how to live the life that I've taught you. So that's what you're going to do. People need to know about me. So go and tell them about me and show them what it means to be mine. Show them what it means to live like me. You've received the good life. Freely you've received. Freely give. Go. Would you stand with me, please? And I'll invite our prayer teams to take their places. This is just the beginning, and I'm asking your prayer uh, for me and for us. Uh, each, each week, I want to give you one thing to just think about, um, one soul training practice to consider putting into your week some sometime. Um, I want to just end today's introduction to this series as we concentrate on Jesus Jesus with this. I just I'm just I want to encourage you to stay vertical. Stay vertical. Mission is is horizontal, but without the vertical, um, the horizontal will will just go flat. It will, 
the horizontal will be like a flat line. And, and, and we won't have life. So stay vertical. And so the soul training practice that I want to encourage you to do is I want you to just spend a period of time with Jesus this week. And I want you to simply say this, this simple declaration to him. It comes from the book of John. It's what John the Baptist himself said. And I want you to just make this simple, simple declaration to God. You must become greater. I must become less. At some point this week, carve out some time and simply declare that to God. You must become greater. I must become less. And let His Word and let the Holy Spirit work that out with you and what that means, what that means for you in the way that you live. Without focus on Jesus, we won't have mission. So stay vertical, stay connected, and simply declare to him sometime in the quiet this week, you must become greater, I must become less. We're going to sing about Jesus together, and it's your opportunity to respond either with our prayer teams or uh, with your leadership, and so we invite you as we sing.